This is the resurrection chapter. This is part three. Um, so we've gone through pretty much through verse 19. And uh, we're going to start with verse 20 tonight. Lots of theological stuff tonight that's very important. So thank you all for showing up and thank you all for watching. Um, I think that uh, you'll be blessed by paying attention to this. So we're going to read. Hmm. Well, I'm going to read starting with verse 20 and I'll cut it off at some point. I'm not going to read all the way to the end. It's a long chapter and I already read it. First Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 20. So the Apostle Paul started off by answering this. Um, I, I guess you could call it an objection, uh, a doubt that the resurrection was real, as in the bodily resurrection. So um, those who were um, reared in a, a Greek culture didn't have any problem in believing that there was a spiritual, as we would call it, resurrection, that there was uh, a disembodied life beyond the grave. And I think a lot of Americans are like that, be honest. Um, but they had a real problem, uh, both the Jews and the Greeks, not all Jews, but uh, in believing that there was a bodily resurrection that was also spiritual. As we're going to see, the further we get into this chapter, uh, the Apostle Paul was very, very strongly supporting this idea that spiritual and corporeal or bodily are not mutually exclusive ideas, right? Spiritual does not mean we float around in the clouds, okay? That we're, we're ghosts. In fact, the whole idea of a spirit is something that is non-physical. And yet, every time an angel visited a human, did they visit them as some sort of a no, there's always a physical body, a person, right? So, and we see that throughout the Old Testament when um, the, the pre-incarnate Christ visited people, we would call that um, a theophany, okay? Um, it was always a body, right? Um, now, you could imagine or assume or presume that that is just the appearance, that if you were to stick your hand out there, you would, you know, not feel anything. And yet when Jesus was raised from the grave, what happened? He said, no, look, here's my hand. Put your hand right there in the hole in my hand. Do you have anything to eat? Okay. And he, so I think that's very encouraging, right? This is not some kind of imaginative, magical idea. Um, this is real world. You know, I, I want to say physical, but we always think of physical as just naturalistic, materialistic. But physical does not have to be naturalistic or materialistic. That is this stuff that passes away. So this table, this wonderful table that I got, uh, you know, eventually, if it were to just sit here, um, it would decay. And I don't know how long it would take, but it would eventually disintegrate. Okay. 
If you light something on fire, it does that more quickly. But we're talking about a, a bodily existence that is pioneered by Jesus that is very definitely real, corporeal, physical, if you will, but it is not physical um, contrasting or contrary to spiritual. It is a spiritual body, an actual body, okay? That's what the Apostle Paul was advocating for. And I think that's what we miss, right? I, I don't think even we have a problem with this idea that, well, I'll die, but I'll just go on living. Where and how, I don't know. But when Jesus came back from the dead, he demonstrated how, right? Um, the body he came back in was not always immediately recognizable. There was, oh, we think that's who you are, but there was something different enough to where doubt entered into them, their minds. Even in uh, Matthew chapter 28, so Jesus appears to them in Galilee on some hill, we would call it a hill, mountain there, and it says some of them doubted. Why would they doubt? Because, you know, if you watch the Passion of the Christ, I mean, he was beaten into oblivion. I mean, it was ridiculous. They saw this happen even from afar, right? They knew he was crucified and he was buried. So to see him bodily raised was very challenging for them to believe, okay? So Jesus appears to uh, the two men on the road to Emmaus. And initially, they don't recognize him, okay? They go all the way into town, and they have dinner with him. And when he breaks bread, aha, right? This, this moment of revelation occurs, and now you know, they realize this is him, and at that point, he disappears. So, of course, there's a significant difference between the resurrected body and the physical body we have, you can only occupy one space and one time at any given moment, right? You can't pass through walls. So this young lady just walked through the door. She couldn't walk through the door without opening the door. You couldn't come in through a wall. And yet when Jesus appeared to the disciples, it wasn't just some sort of a, an imagination, a vision, or whatever. He literally showed up, but the doors were locked. And he didn't, hey, hey, this is Jesus. Can you open the door and let me in? Hey, it's Jesus. I rose from the dead, but I can't get in there. Can you open that door? No. He just was in the room. So he could pass through our world of substance and be where he needed to be. I like that. That's cool, right? So as we're going to see here, the scripture says he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean? 
that means he's first in priority, okay? And for most of us, he's first in time, right? To be the resurrected person. So when you die, it will be tragic and, uh, you know, yeah, I don't want any of y'all to die before me, but y'all are older than me, so you probably will. Um, well, except, except this young man that just showed up. You can do my funeral, fella. All right. No, but you know, that's y'all. So, okay. Um, but what happens after that? Okay. Well, that's what we're looking at here. This is a bodily resurrection. It's a spiritual body. It's corporeal, right? There's stuff there, but it's not the stuff that is limited like we are in our world. It is stuff that is capable of passing through the earthly stuff, right? And being in a different space in a different time. So that's what we're dealing with, right? So let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. And this is the English Standard Version. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. That's why we know resurrection is real. Because in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, quote, God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That is, God the Father has put things, all, all things in subjection under the feet of God the Son. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. That is, God the Father is accepted, right? God the Father is not put in subjection under the feet of God the Son. There is an order here. Um, verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him, that is God the Father, who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So, very, very theologically pregnant passage. We can learn a whole lot from this. Having established the truths that resurrection is possible and that Christ's resurrection proves this, the apostle moves on to assert that Christ's resurrection is only the first. So, Jesus' resurrection proves that bodily resurrection is possible, that that is God's plan, that God's plan is not for you to die and then float about in some, you know, indefinable world as a spirit, the way we think of a spirit as a ghost. But 
Christ returns bodily, okay, the disciples, beginning with the women, and then, you know, the, uh, the, the most respected male disciples go to the tomb, and the body of Jesus, the physical body of Jesus is not there. Well, where is it? Well, Mary Magdalene assumes, and if you didn't, you know, understand what Jesus was accomplishing here, you would assume too that somebody came and stole the body. Huge stone had to be rolled away for that to occur. But you know, if you had a bunch of people that wanted to accomplish this, then push that out of the way and then, you know, throw his, somebody throw his body over their shoulder and go haul him away. Why? I don't know. They're all going to suffer for this. They're all going to die for this. They're going to be martyred for this. Okay. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But that's what the early um, uh, Jewish folks were trying to um, maintain. That was their case. No, they stole the body. Okay. But, you know, after a while, why would you continue suffering for this Jesus? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So um, here's this bodily resurrection of Jesus, and he appears to Peter and then to the 12. Now, this is 1 Corinthians 15, um, 3 and 4. Okay? But we also know from Luke that he appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. Okay? Um, then he appeared to all of the apostles. He appeared to more than 500 uh, brethren at once. And the only place we receive that testimony is from 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 6, I think it is, or 7. Okay? Um, we don't know where that was or when that was. But, um, you know, the Apostle Paul makes that assertion. And then uh, it says he appeared to James. James was the half-brother of Jesus and the first, uh, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And then the Apostle Paul says, and last of all, he appeared to me as one untimely born, like one, you know, born out of time, okay? Um, so Jesus appeared to Paul after the um, ascension, okay? All these other appearances were prior to the ascension. Um, the idea of witnesses that Jesus appointed were witnesses to the resurrection. Now, you and I, if we have a relationship with Jesus, are witnesses to what he's done in our lives, okay? So, but Acts 1.8 says, this is Jesus talking to those first 12. He said, and you will, receive, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. In Judea, surrounding state. And Samaria, the people that were unlike them in the next state over. So there in Texas, that's people in Oklahoma. Okay, and to the remotest part of the earth, right? That's to the rest of the world. That's what's going to happen. That's what did happen. So that's Acts 1.8. 
And Acts 1-8 gives us the outline of Acts because we see that the witness of Jesus goes out in concentric circles from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. And the Apostle Paul is the one that the Lord uses to bring the gospel to the remotest part of the earth. But what is the gospel? The gospel is that God brought the kingdom to earth through Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. Literally, actually rose from the dead. That's the best news any of us has. As I've said a number of times in recent days, and I've said for many times, uh, many times over the years, death is your enemy. People are like, oh, well, death is a door. It's just, you know, a window into the next world, blah, blah, blah. whatever. Death is your dadgum enemy, man. Death is evil. Death ends you. What are you talking about? You're mortal. You're not immortal. You are mortal. Okay? You get the gift of eternal life when you put your faith in Jesus, the one and only Son of the only God who is immortal. Only God is immortal. You're not immortal. I'm not immortal. God is immortal. And he's the only one capable of granting eternal life. That is immortality. Now, this isn't just life everlasting, right? It's different than everlasting life. So, I mean, you know, I'm 60 now. I know, I'm old. And... Uh, I've lived long enough now to where I'm tired. I don't want to keep living this life if that's all there is. This is exhausting. I can't imagine. So, you know, bless Vernon. He was 96 when he passed away. I'm thinking 36 more years? <laughs> Doggone, dude. Ah! Because this world, and you know, I mean, Vernon saw a lot of transformation and challenge in his time. But the world we're looking at now, are you kidding me right now? These people are crazy and they don't know they're crazy. <laughs> it's it's a, a deep perverse perversity. It's like, well, you know, I don't know. Really? I do. Because I saw a different world than you see. Right? And the world that I see was troubled, but the world that I see now is deeply sick. It's disturbing. It's disgusting. Do I want to see 36 more years of this? Not really. Now, I'm not telling the Lord to punch my card early by any means, right? I believe that you and I are here if we're in Christ, right? We're here for a time such as this. So we're here to preach the gospel, not to go along with the crowd, because the crowd is going in the exact wrong direction. They are on the super highway to hell. So, you know, I don't know. I don't watch TV anymore. It's ridiculous. It's so stupid. TV is so stupid, right? And there's all these streaming services now. I get on Netflix for a month and I binge some show that's decent and then I get off it because Netflix has an agenda, man. The, the programs they promote are intended to push people in a particular 
political direction. You think they're not political? Oh, I absolutely assure you they are. This is the entire tech community, okay? And so I get on and then I get off. And, uh, um, you know, I, I get weary of these, these shows and these directions that they take and so forth. And, you know, it, it's kind of a, a revelation as to what the world we're living in is like. Now, if we all rejected that, okay, they'd go out of business. So right now, because we can still vote, and if you can't vote, like, you know, go to the ballot and vote. You can vote with your money, right? When you subscribe, when you buy, you're voting. You know, so people that come to our church, they don't like, they don't like Pastor Daryl. I don't like him. Don't come here. I'm not being mean to you. Just don't come here. We'll go out of business. If people start giving, stop giving, and stop showing up, why am I here? I can't keep paying the rent. Our landlords are going to be like, get out of here. We're going to put somebody else in here. Good luck with that. But anyway, um, yeah, people have got to show up. You've got to provide content that attracts people. So you give them truth, right? Or you tickle their ears, whatever you do. So I'm giving you truth and you're here tonight. That makes sense, okay? So full circle around. The best, the best news I can give you is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you have eternal life, real eternal life. Beyond that, I can't give you any hope. I could, you know, Win the lottery and give you a million dollars, but if you died in 10 days, what difference does that make? Let me help you. None. It makes no difference whatsoever. Or if I gave you a million dollars and you died in 10 years, it makes no difference at all. You just die. Who cares? Nobody's going to remember you after you're dead. What did you do with that money? You went and bought a car. Uh, you went and bought a house. You ate better food. Who cares? Right? But if we can put ourselves in a position with faith to inherit eternal life, eternal life, not everlasting life, as in we just keep living this life, right? Because I don't want to keep living this life. This life, it's just tiring. Like, I, you know, I look around now, the things that I would have been attracted to when I was younger. Um, I like cars. I'll be honest. I like cars. So, and I see, you know, all these different vehicles drive by. And so, most people that have money right now, not everybody, but most people that have money, that have established themselves in their lives, are like in their 50s and 60s. Translated, my age. So, not me but a lot of people my age. And so I look around, Corvettes and Mustangs and all these, and I'm like, I don't care. Like, I honestly don't care. I mean, I've got a friend that's got a brand new Corvette. It's the, you know, the newest model. It's just, it's amazing. It's like mid-engine and all this other stuff. And, and I don't, you know, and I'll begrudge him that, not in the least. He's worked hard and he owns his own company and all that. But you know what? 
when it comes down to it, that's not what I want. You know, I, sure, I could, I mean, he would probably let me drive his car. That's the kind of guy he is, okay? But I don't care. I don't need that, right? So I've thought, okay, you know, I live upstairs right now, okay? I'm trying to keep us in this building. I sleep in a chair upstairs. That's what I do. Now, I don't feel bad. Elon Musk is the wealthiest man in the world, and he owns no house. Did you know that? Did you know Elon Musk doesn't even own a house? He goes from place to place and stays at other people's houses. The guy is worth 267, wait for it, billion dollars. That's with a B. A billion is a thousand million. He's worth more money than you and I can ever imagine being worth. And he doesn't even have a house. So I'm thinking, I'm sleeping in a chair and I don't feel bad about that, all right? I don't know that I'm accomplishing as much as he is, you know, with three gigafactories and all this other stuff and buying Twitter and whatever. But the point is, you can have something lavish, something that other people admire, but that doesn't mean it's really valuable in the long term, okay? Because that house that you own or that you live in or that you stay in, like this table, it's going to disintegrate. And then what? And then what? Nothing. So that's why the most important thing we can offer people is this gift of eternal life. Then he goes into this very, very interesting um, theological uh, point. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. You are, first of all, in Adam. That's your ancestor. That's all of our ancestor. Black, white, Latino, North American, Asian, doesn't matter. Our ancestor is Adam. And Adam and Eve were separated from God at the fall. And at that separation, they inherited death. You and I naturally, automatically, at birth, are in Adam. In Adam, all die. That's what happens. That's the price of sin. For the wages of sin is death. All of us die. That's our inheritance. But in Christ, it says, and this is validated and verified, demonstrated by Jesus' resurrection, all will be made alive. Does that mean everybody is going to automatically live eternally? No. All who are in Christ. You're automatically in Adam. But you choose by faith to be in Christ or not. If you don't choose to be in Christ, you're in Adam and you will die. 
you will be raised, you will be judged, you will eternally be destroyed. But if you are in Christ, you will be raised, you will escape or evade judgment for the things that you have done wrong because Christ has paid for those on the cross and died for those. He's died for you. He's died in your place. He's died as you. And you will receive the gift of eternal life. In fact, if you put your faith in Jesus, you already have that gift. It's already working inside of you, right? The Holy Spirit is the is the, 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 the seal of that eternal life. And you already have that. Now, your physical body's gonna die. You can't keep living in this body. Time is ticking, tick, tick, tick in this body, right? It's like the old school hourglass. You're seeing an hourglass? Maybe you played one of those games, you know, board games. That's how I first got exposed to an hourglass. I don't even remember which the, what the board game was. It was like, you know, a little bitty hourglass, right? It's got glass on this side, glass on this side, and this little skinny neck. It's got this, you know, these little kernels of, um, looks like sand. It might be something other than sand. I don't know. But you flipped it over, and the sand starts trickling through that skinny neck. And you see the sand up here get... Less and less and less and less. And the sand down here get more and more and more until this sand up here is gone. That's your life. From the time you're born. Now, how much sand is in your hourglass? I don't know. I mentioned Vernon earlier. You know, he was my friend. I love Vernon. He loved, you know, died not too long ago, March 15th, 2020, at around 3 o'clock in the morning. At least that's when they found him unresponsive. I don't know when he actually passed. Okay? But that's when the last grain of sand trickled through. For his natural life. But Vernon believed in Jesus. Vernon had put his faith in Christ. Vernon had received the gift of eternal life. So once the natural sand runs out, what happens? Well, you get new life that has no hourglass. There's no sand. You just have life. And it goes on. But it's not just everlasting life. It is a different quality of life. It's God quality life. Now, if you don't want to live in the presence of God, if you don't want to obey God, if you want to live for God, you can't have this gift because it wouldn't be life for you. You'd hate it. It would be death for you. If you don't love God, if you don't want to be around God, he's the author of life, then Enjoy what you've got now because this is it. That's why I tell people when, when others say they're atheists, be nice to them. Don't be hateful. This is the best they have. This is all they have. This is the end for them, man. Don't be mean because it's all over for them once they die. Uh, you can look it up online if you want, you know, 
famous atheist last words, like look that up. Lots of atheists and, you know, how they felt as they were dying, screaming, crying, trying to, you know, hold on to this life because this is, this is all they have, man. But not you. If you put your faith in Jesus, right? The resurrected master of death, the, you know, master of the universe who has conquered death. It says he's the first fruits. That means he's the first in priority, perhaps the first in time, okay? The word is aparke in Greek. Here's the, um, the uh, definition it denotes primarily, quote, an offering of first fruits. This is, this is what you would offer if you were an Israelite. Um, so Passover happens, right? We talked about that. 50 days later, 50 days after Passover, is Pentecost. Pentecost was the offering of the first fruits. What are the first fruits? These are the, the first of your harvest. And you, you offered that to the Lord. It was a way of saying, Lord, we recognize you as the source, as the reason that we have this provision. And we offer this back to you. Why? Because God needs it? Because God needs to eat or something? No. It's to recognize God's value and the reality that God is the one that gave you that. You got an income, right? Retirement, social security, a job. You got an income? You say, well, I'll work for that money. God gave you the health to work for that money. Well, I invested in social security. God gave you the money to invest in that social security. Figure this out. You didn't do this on your own. Everything you have is a gift from God. So you're recognizing that by offering it back to him, right? So Jesus is the first fruits. That's what that means, okay? He's the, the first in uh, priority, the first in importance. Um, this word aparke comes from a related word that means to rule or to begin. So Christ is not the first to fall asleep. He's not the first to die. That's the common metaphor, fall asleep for death, okay? Um, but he is both the first in time and the chief in position to be raised from life among those who have died. So, is Jesus the only resurrected person in heaven right now? What you need to understand is Jesus is still in a resurrected body. Right now. He didn't rise from the dead, show himself in a resurrected body, and then go, poof! Now I'm just spiritual with nobody. No. He has a resurrected body, and he still has a resurrected body. Jesus is all God, and he's all human. And he is still that. That hasn't changed. So the question this is an important question, I think, okay? Is he 
the only resurrected being haunting heaven right now. Okay? And I don't believe so. Jesus raided Sheol. What is Sheol? That's the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead, the grave. Listen to these passages of scripture. This is Matthew 27, 50 through 53. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible, the 2020 uh, update. And Jesus cried out again. This is Jesus on the cross with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. So he died. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints. Are you hearing this? Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, metaphor for death, were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. Oh, after Jesus resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Wow. Okay. Now, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 19. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He's the just, the righteous one. We're the unjust. We're the unrighteous. So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, in the natural, but made alive in the spirit, the supernatural, in which he also went, listen, and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. That's Sheol. Now let's look at Ephesians 4, 7 through 10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, that's Jesus, ascended on high, he led captive the captives, and he gave gifts to people. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. C.S. Lewis, you heard of C.S. Lewis, right? Brilliant writer. We would think of him as a theologian, but that wasn't his vocation. C.S. Lewis was actually a professor of medieval literature, medieval studies, the so-called dark ages. The dark ages weren't dark ages. The enlightenment wasn't an enlightenment. Okay. These are different periods of time where people believed in different things. This is what C.S. Lewis wrote. The medieval authors, says Lewis, delighted to picture what they called the harrowing of hell. This is Jesus descending into the lower regions, into Sheol. Okay. Christ descending and knocking on those eternal doors and bringing out those whom he chose. That would explain how what Christ did can save those who lived long before the incarnation. So before Jesus, people didn't know about the Messiah. They didn't know about the crucifixion. They didn't know about the resurrection. Are all those people just going to be in hell forever? They're going to perish forever? No. You are judged for what you have heard, not for what you have not heard. And that says something about you in this room and those of you that are listening. You've heard a lot. 
You've been exposed to a lot. You've been given a great deal of revelation, a high level of revelation, and you're more accountable. So we would say, well, what about people in other countries and other continents and other realms and other times that didn't know about Jesus? They're not going to be judged for what they didn't know or they weren't exposed to. They're only going to be judged for what they were exposed to. Jesus brought with him those who had believed in God as he had revealed himself to them, primarily in nature. Look up at the stars. If you can't figure out there's an almighty God, you're just dumb. You are profoundly stupid. And there's a lot of profoundly stupid, smart people in the world today. Okay, look around you. I used to take teenagers to Colorado and we went skiing in every major ski area in Colorado. Name one, we were there, okay? We went to Telluride, we went to Steamboat Springs, there's the far south, the far north. Went to Winter Park, went to Breckenridge, went to all of these beautiful ski areas. And I would teach teenagers how to share their faith with someone that they were riding up the, the lift with, right? You've never been skiing. You put your skis on or your snowboard on, and then you get in a chair and it takes you up the mountain. That's the lift. And people are sitting with you on that lift and they can't leave. <laughs> so you can talk to them and they would have to be pretty, pretty desperate to jump off the lift, right? Now, I didn't encourage them to be you know, excessive or um, judgmental or, um, you know, proselyting or anything like that. I just encourage them to, you know, talk to people. But all you got to do is look out at those mountains. And I don't know how stupid you have to be to say that came from nothing, that that came randomly. That's ridiculous. I was born on the South Rim in Grand Canyon, Arizona, a million years ago. Okay, 60 years ago. You can't be born there now unless it's an accident and you cannot make it to the hospital, ladies. When I lived there, when my mom lived there, I shall say, should say, um, there was actually a little hospital there. It was in, it looked like a log cabin, okay? Very small hospital there. And that's where I was born. That's where my sister, who has now passed away, was born. And I've been back to the Grand Canyon on a number of occasions since then. I will tell you this. Every time I go back, I am overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. You can talk all you want about how the, the wind and the waves cause this. Sure. But if it if this fails to make this powerful impression on you, you're broken. You're just broken. Because God is speaking to you in nature. That's his first Bible. He's seeking to get through to you. You need to get off your phone, man. Get off your screen. Go outside. Look up at the stars. Get away from the city. Go to the Grand Canyon, go to the mountains, go wherever you want to go. 
Go to West Texas. It's a brutal beauty, but it is a beauty. Okay? And I think if you will allow God to speak to your conscience, you will find that you are impressed with the reality that there is an almighty creator that brought this into existence and who is seeking to speak to you. He's calling to you, right? That call goes out to everyone. It's available to all of us, okay? To each of us was given grace according to Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts to people. And he descended into the lower reaches of the earth and he brought these people who had previously believed in the existence of a God they didn't even know with him. People in other countries, now they don't know Jesus. If they are responding in faith to God as he has revealed himself to them, they're going to be saved. They're still going to go through Jesus. But don't give me this baloney that the only people that are going to be saved are, you know, people in America and other countries that have been fully indoctrinated into the gospel. That's nonsense. Your God is too small. You have a tiny God. You have a a, a tiny God who is very narrow-minded. That's not Almighty God. People all have an opportunity. The call goes out to us all. And if you respond to the call of nature, you're going to find that God is going to draw you into His revealed Word, the Scripture, and He's going to reveal Christ to you. Don't worry about people that have never heard what you've heard. You need to worry about what you've heard. They're only responsible for what they've received. You're responsible for everything you've received. You need to respond to Almighty God and you need to share that with other people. Don't worry about them. They're going to be they're going to be fine. God is love. God is gracious. God is kind. And there are people who have been brought up in other religious groups who are more righteous than church people that I've met. And they may be deceived, at least in the externals. They don't understand what all this means. But they're still responding in their heart to this real God, this creator, this almighty creator who somehow loves them so much that he's seeking them and calling them. And they're responding to them as they know how. Those people, were you to preach the gospel to them, would immediately receive it. They wouldn't reject it. They would understand that that is the natural next step, natural being, you know, a way of expressing this, right? So, that's where we're at, okay? Um, I'm not going to go into this next part. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bail out just a little bit early. Now, that's only two verses. But next week, we're going to look at um, what Augustine called original sin. Very simply stated, this is 
verse 21 and 22. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. That's what we need to understand. By virtue of your birth on this planet, you are in Adam and all in Adam die. All in Adam are inheritors of original sin. Now, I'm going to reveal to you next week, I don't believe that that's some sort of a, a genetic thing, okay? It's not like a disease. You know, if you were born to a particular family and you inherited a particular genetic uh, deficiency, for example, you didn't choose that. That's just the way it is. But what I'm going to reveal to you next week is I believe what this means is they were born into a domain or a realm apart from God. And in that realm apart from God, we are going to consistently, insistently live for ourselves apart from God. And the natural result of that is eternal death. But God is calling to us all to bring us up and out of that natural realm of death into his realm of eternal life. That's Christ's kingdom. Okay? That's the difference. But that call goes out to everybody, not just a few, but only those who are willing to listen will receive it. So that's next week. I hope you'll come back next week. Thank you for joining us online. Thank you guys for coming uh, this week in person. God bless you.